And welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode. We have got Mr. Money Mustache and he's here to talk entrepreneurialism. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Katie and I first learnt about Mr. Money Mustache when my friend Matt sent me a link to his blog saying you should read this. We started to read Pete's blog all about early retirement, saving money, riding bicycles and punching yourself in the face if you spend too much money. And we were addicted. We saw that he was going to an event in Ecuador called Chautauqua and Katie and I were both excited to fly out there to meet him and the other FI bloggers and to learn from them. What we weren't expecting was Pete's speech was mainly about happiness. It wasn't even about financial independence, really. It was about what leads to a happy life. And one of the quotes I love is, happiness is the only really logical pursuit. And Pete has been retired now for around about 15 years, and he's done all sorts of creative entrepreneurial projects, including building one of the biggest blogs online, Mr. Money Mustache. And he's done that whilst pursuing happiness in his retirement. So the purpose of getting Pete on the show is to find out what he thinks are the similarities between mustachianism and personal finance and entrepreneurship his advice for entrepreneurs in the future, and how to stay positive. So without any more, let's get straight into the episode. Please welcome Mr. Money Mustache, Pete. This is great. I'm so happy. I actually had a bit of a gray mental day yesterday where I just wasn't, I woke up not feeling great and maybe it's partly the weather and partly other stuff. And it was partly because I all the stuff I'd planned to do, I couldn't really do because of the snow. So I stayed at home too much. And then I got into this funk when I just didn't want to do anything. So today, to combat that, I got out of my house and was like, I'm going to talk to Alan <laughs> at the headquarters, which is where I am now, because it's just the simple challenge of getting my crap packed up and getting dressed up and walking a mile and a half is enough to get me started and feeling good. And sure enough, I feel like 10 times better than I did yesterday all day. So cheers to that. Cheers. (laughs) It is absolutely about getting the blood flowing and moving. And I had a day like that a couple of days ago where I just woke up in a bad state. And I don't even know why, because I never wake up in a bad state. Oh, yeah. That's what I was saying to my friends. I was like, Alan, this probably never happens to Alan. (laughs) (laughs) It did. About four or five days ago, I actually woke up with a nightmare about the coronavirus And was just in a bad state. And you're right, this never happens to me. Well, once every few years. Um, (laughs) Good to know. I'm human. Yeah, I love the ideas that you put out about how entrepreneurship and having a cash cushion and how a recession like this should not break you with inside two weeks, that you should have more than that put aside. And I had lots of ideas of chatting to you because... You worked very hard as an employee to get yourself to financial independence and then started entrepreneurship, or at least that's my opinion. Uh, And I wanted to talk about that. And 
why yeah. you took on entrepreneurship and all those sort of subjects. Because I think it's fascinating that you got to FI and then decided to be entrepreneurial. Yeah. And uh, it was partly just because I was following the path of others. I didn't really know much about entrepreneurship as a kid because most of my family and the town I was in, it was more like you just get a job and that's how you make money. I got a little bit of a taste of it from my dad who did eventually leave his salary job in advertising to start his own little advertising firm. Mm. And I think that alone was a bit influential. I really like that. But it was still a little bit fear-based. I would often hear him saying, oh, if there's a recession, then we're in trouble. Or if the money dries up from this job, I'll have to go back to my other job. And so I think I associate it with a little bit of scariness. And I think that is really because of the idea of the cash cushion and just getting your monthly expenses very controlled and low so that you never have to worry about how much is flowing out if your income does stop for a while. And now that's the way I try to preach uh, entrepreneurship is um, just to make sure that your needs are low and then that makes everything else just so much easier, including, in my opinion, making you a better business person because you don't have worry in the background and you can be more generous with your employees and you can survive a worldwide multi-week or multi-month shutdown and your employees are glad that they're with you instead of somebody else. Which is kind of what we're going through right now. A lot of people's income, just like your dad said, what if the money dries up? It's happened to a lot of people right now across the world with the coronavirus and what's going on. And they've all lost their income in an instant. And that's changed the way things are happening. Yeah, it's very dramatic. And it's amazing how fast it happened. Like, I certainly would not have guessed that this would be what undid us. Like, we all knew, or at least most of us knew, that a recession was going to come somehow in some way. But I remember even in January reading like forecasts and opinions saying, well, so far so good. Like everything's really strong and the debt levels of businesses are reasonably low compared to their incomes and their earnings are great. So no recession that we can forecast in the next couple of years. And then it's like, boom, suddenly, <laughs> so sudden. And all those people are completely clapped blind. And that's really the whole point is you don't know you should never base your business or your borrowing on an economic forecast. I think it should be based on, on always doing your best to stay out of trouble, uh, whether things look bright or not. Was an interesting point of view. Like the whole debt-based bit, this recession is going to put a lot of companies into debt. There's going to be a mountain of debt coming, especially the multi-trillion dollar bailout in the States. And we've got a multi-billion dollar bailout going on in the UK. That's putting the whole country into debt. So what do you think the long term consequences of this stuff is for business, the economy? What's actually going to happen? Well, I guess there's two parts of that. There's a certain amount, at least in the US, that they're basically just handing out. They're printing money and handing it out. And um on a personal level, if you get such a thing and then it's forgiven, then it really is forgiven and it's just a temporary stimulus. Of course, that money gets added onto the government debt, but it won't affect you in quite the same way. But at the same time, there's also banks and other types of borrowing that's being ramped up as well. And that's really going to stay on your back if you take that borrowing right now. And, you know, on the big picture, like I'm also interested in macroeconomics and some people are very pessimistic. They're saying, oh, dear. Government's borrowing money, it's all over. I think it's actually a good step that the Federal Reserve and the central banks is taking because 
If they don't do that, um, they end up with a bigger crash, which costs them even more. And you end up with deflation, where prices keep going down and down. And then people are afraid to buy something now because they're expecting they could get it cheaper next week. And so by printing money, you're preventing deflation. So I think that this, these trillion dollar packages and stuff, you know, they're not a bad idea given the situation we're in. So as a business owner, that's not something to be afraid of as long as you don't just take on debt, you know, just because it's available. Yes. And actually, so this particular situation with coronavirus, the fact it's a pandemic that has caused this is new. However, things like this happening has happened for a long time. And actually, one of the killers of my dad's business was, I think it was the 80s crash, where the stock market plummeted by some horrific amount. And it was a massive recession. People stopped spending overnight. My dad's business was sportswear. And sportswear is a luxury in those times. People don't go out and buy soccer balls or American footballs or all that sort of stuff when there's a recession on. They just cut that and they focus on food, which is what they should do. And overnight, his income went from huge to zero, but he still had to pay the rents. He still had to pay the rates and the salary. And that is what ultimately killed his business at that stage, was thinking that the good times would roll forever. Right. And if you imagine a different scenario where he was cautious and had expanded slower and, you know, made sure you'd rather have like five really busy shops than 10 average shops. And then each one is really profitable and you take it really carefully. Maybe you even own some of your buildings instead of leasing them because you're so careful about cash flow that you can afford to have purchases. Then you definitely don't make as much in the big time, the boom times. But in exchange, that's sometimes half of the maximum can still be more than you need. And that's a really nice way to live. And then, uh, of course, when there's a crash, then you're completely relaxed. And I noticed that about uh, like today, Warren Buffett in the United States is very much sitting pretty because they have something like $180 billion of cash reserves in the Berkshire (laughs) Hathaway. And it's because they were watching the last boom and saying like, wow, this is way good, too good to be true. This can't last, but we sure are making a lot of money. So they kept that. And then now they are going to be able to deploy that in some unique way because everything goes on sale. You can buy an airline for like 50 bucks or you can buy, <laughs> you know, factories or other productive businesses. But the economy really bounces back quickly from recessions and pandemics, especially because people want to get back to work. You have to remember There's one underlying thing that never changes, and that's that there's a bunch of humans who have a lot of energy and they want to do stuff. And that has not gone away at all. In fact, it's just getting pent up and they're even more excited to do stuff when they're allowed to do so. Yes, I am feeling like a caged tiger. Let me out of this house. I want to do stuff. I want to get out there. And I think there's a lot of people who do want to get back to normal life and build businesses, make money and have nice breakfasts out. Yeah. And in fact, if you can get out over the funk right now, there's a lot of stuff you can still do, even if your business is closed. Like it's an amazing time to work on your website and design like marketing plans and, you know, figure out meeting, meet people online who can become partners or employees, like all this stuff that we were typically putting off because we were too busy when business was booming. Um, that's the time to do it now. This is not the time to like watch Tiger King on Netflix and get (laughs) drunk every night and miss your workouts and stay inside because the government told you to stay inside. Like this is a great time to build yourself up, you know, work on your physical health. I noticed that Alan 
and his lady have been getting extremely ripped and muscular over the recent times. And that's a great use of, uh, of lockdown time. I've lost 22 pounds so far since lockdown has happened through eating vegetables, doing exercise, yoga. And I'm not quite ripped yet, Pete. There's still a belly, but I'm on the right track. Yeah, that's amazing. And congratulations. And it's the opposite of what I've heard. People are saying like, okay, there's a disease called COVID-19, but the next one is COVID-20, which is the 20 pounds you gained while you were on quarantine. (laughs) Which will lead to increased diabetes. And yeah. Yeah, it could definitely lead to a bigger health cost and death toll than what we're going through now, which is sad, but true. But you don't have to do that way. You can choose... And it's hard. And I've I've battled with some bad days recently, too. But as long as you know that there is a good way to use this time off, then I think that's already a good start because you're going to treat it like an opportunity whenever you can. Well, I think this is the thing that I've been working on massively over the last month is it's where your focus is at. So you can focus on what you do want or you can focus on what's going on and what's causing you pain. And I think one of the main difference between someone who's entrepreneurial and not is where they place their focus. How do you control your focus each day? Yeah, reading the news as we uh, a practice which we often attack in my type of circles. (laughs) I I certainly attack it a lot is really, really hard on you right now. And even I get depressed when I read the news the news isn't even aligning with the data. Like I read medical stuff and graphs and charts and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is not nearly as bad as I thought, like uh, the way the virus is affecting the world and it is getting better sooner than I expected. And then I flip over to like msn.com and and New York Times and it has articles like an unimaginable toll. And then it has like 50 photographs of like body bags and people crying and hospital workers looking harried and stuff like that. And like, I'm not denying that there is real pain involved, but percentage wise, like there's always real pain. And if the media chose to, they could make you feel like that every day. Like even in the best time, if you showed the emergency rooms and the medical workers, you would always be sad. And that's what the news has turned to today. And um, you don't have to absorb that in order to be a good citizen. You know, you can be a caring citizen and help out with your social distancing and staying healthy and not read about tragedy. And it's a win-win in that situation. Absolutely. And about three weeks ago, I found if I swipe right on my phone, there's a little list of headlines. And I started actually paying attention to that because I felt like I should know what was going on in the world. And then after three weeks of doing it, it had become a habit. And every morning I started by reading some articles that made me feel depressed. And I suddenly realized I need to stop this. So I deleted the app. I hid it from my home screen. I've stopped reading it. And I've just focused on doing what I know are the right actions to come out stronger. That is a really good idea. And I had to do the same thing. I, I have no Facebook app on my phone and no Twitter app on my phone. I have to use a desktop PC in order to access Twitter. And then I don't even know my Twitter password. I logged out. So that in order to log in, I have to go to my bedroom closet, get a little sticky note that has this ridiculous password that I made for Twitter. And then I type it in and then I don't check the box that says save password. And then I have to deliberately use Twitter and then I log out. So I can't get back in again unless I take that deliberate step again. So it's really about treating yourself like a monkey and realizing that you are going to follow the banana and the easy path if it's there for you. 
and you have to make it hard for you to do these things. Yes, I've realized I'm weak. (laughs) In a lot of ways, I'm weak and I just go with the easy thing. Yeah. And your example of reading the news first thing in the morning is uh, a great example. And a lot of people do that, but it's really like poisoning yourself. It's like taking a, a big coffee mug full of tequila as the way to start your day. You know, like it's just sets you on the wrong path for starters, like just messes up your mind. You're going to be less good in every way. Absolutely. And one of the things I'd be really interested to talk to you about, Pete, is that we've spoken many times when we've come and run the pop up in Longmont about the match between entrepreneurialism and the Mustachian principles. And I'd love to know your thoughts about how Mustachian principles apply to entrepreneurship and what are those headline principles? Right. Well, I guess the, my definition of mustachianism is, um, even though it's a silly word, it's very old common principles, which is becoming efficient and embracing challenge and sort of discarding the social norms sometimes and then being proud of that. Like, So the best example of mustachianism that you can see is if you see somebody like a family riding to the grocery store with their kids on like, you know, nice cargo bikes and a bike trailer and everybody gets out together and they're the only one who's done that. And they go into the grocery store and have a great time, buy a bunch of food, stop in the park, play in the park, go home, make a dinner together. And so they're, they're doing something really enjoy, but it also happens to be a lot better for their health and it costs them way less. And meanwhile, the anti-mustachian family right next door drives in their, you know, shiny white Hummer with mirrored upgraded wheels <laughs> and then waits in a drive through or a super long lineup to go to a restaurant. And then they, you know, buy a bunch of $12 drinks and spend 200 bucks on dinner and then drive home and they're completely in debt and their health is no good. And these could be like identical people. Like they could be the same, same people to begin with. And they might even have the same job. They live in the same neighborhood, but just these differences in choices makes an enormous differences in, you know, one family, the the bicycle family could have a million dollars in the bank and the one next door could have a million dollars in debt just because of making that type of choices throughout their lives. So that's the long story, but it works exactly the same way in business, because if you're going to start a business and run a business, there's every single choice uh, involves money and time. And if you're not aware of the efficient way to do things, then you're going to just sort of slip into what everybody else does. Like, okay, I'm thinking of starting a business. I'm going to start by leasing the nicest office in town because I want to set a good impression. I'm not even sure what my first customer is going to be, but I'll just sign a three-year lease. No, five-year lease. And, and you know, on this property, that's $20,000 a month to rent. And and like a mustachian business owner would never, they, they would be f- scared completely by that idea because... They would, they would want to get the cash flow first and then they'd want to figure out how to streamline their business, you know, run the business out of your house and then your garage and then maybe sharing a friend's garage until you're super profitable. And then at that point, you start shopping for a physical location or maybe a co-working space as an interim step or. Yeah, right. So my co-working space where I'm sitting right now, it's kind of a meta pop-up business situation because first of all, three friends and I who own it and we're all early retirees before we even considered starting this very hobby-oriented business. 
But then we did it by buying the building, which is a pretty low cost one and uh, doing most of the renovations ourselves. So there's no rent here. We just have to pay the property taxes and utilities. And then because of that, we're able to offer a really cheap membership. Like um, it's $50 a month to be a member here versus uh, typically 300 is the minimum for a co-working space. And we have more amenities than them, even at one sixth the cost. And then because of that, a lot of members are mustachian business owners and then they use our facilities like I'm sitting in a podcasting room, which is private and really comfortable. And so they get that and there's like an outdoor gym included and a tool library and all these other things that allow you as a member to really not spend much money, but you can still run a business out of here. So several people run very big, well, not big, but you know, a six figure, multiple six figure businesses just out of here. And then sometimes they work at their own houses too. So that same business owner could be spending $5,000 a month to rent an office building. But by keeping themselves lean, they um, are spending 50 instead and getting access to 80 other members who are also badass entrepreneurs. And when you add those numbers up, it just really adds up to millions of dollars over your career. And because of that, Almost none of the people who are members here are worried or affected by the economic shutdown right now. We're all just saying, oh boy, I can't wait till stuff opens up so we can keep having fun, but at least I'm taking this time to read some books and work out more. You know, it's really a, a big difference in stress level and people are spending more time with their kids. Some people um, are taking up all the slack because their partner now has to work from home in an office job. So one guy, Eric, is... Um, you know, doing most of the dad work because um, the kids are no longer in school. And the only reason he can do that is because he got his financial stuff set up in advance where he doesn't have a, have to stick to a job. Makes me really happy to see people surviving in a tough time like this. I love that. So it sounds like what you're saying is the key principle of mustachianism or one of them is reducing your expenditures, working on the income, and then taking the difference to invest or to save to create that cash cushion for when inevitably hard times come and then we bounce back afterwards. So you think people should be treating their business finances exactly the same way as they do their personal finances in a mustachian way? Oh yeah, absolutely. And don't let your success go to your head. Like if you are having a boom time, that is just a perfect time to pretend it's not happening you know, just double down on serving your customers really well, but don't do anything with that money, like other than invest it. If you have any debt, pay it off. Or if you have a business building that you would like to own, then you might choose to purchase it, you know, if you understand the real estate market. And if not, just put everything in index funds and in the stock market, and you'll gradually build up wealth that way, which will provide lifetime cash flow, whether you have a business or not. Because that's the opposite of what my dad did in the 80s. Uh, when his business was booming and the 80s were booming, people thought it would go on forever. And he just inflated his lifestyle with Mercedes, Bentleys, a massive house with gates. Yeah, he had a Bentley Turbo R in bright red. It was unbelievable. Wow, that's um, like the ultimate financial suicide mobile. <laughs> I wish you were there to tell us in the early days that this was ultimate financial suicide. But all of that money evaporated and disappeared and we were left with nothing afterwards. And that's because we spent it as we were going. Yeah, it's amazing. A lot of people say that it takes a lot of compromise or a sacrifice in order to not buy the red Bentley Turbo. 
So that's another thing that helps to learn in advance is that you, you're really not going to be any happier by getting this more quantity of fancy stuff. It's very, very short-lived thrills. And the person who buys a Bentley Turbo today is the same one who's drunk the next day and fighting with their wife or, you know, sad or going to Las Vegas to get more thrills. Like the purchases aren't making your life any better. Whereas um, on the other side of the spectrum, I find uh, I get sort of continuing joy the more content I've become with what I have. So I, whenever I get extra monetary windfall and then yet again, I don't spend it on more stuff for myself, it's just like doubling down on that joy because it makes me appreciate the things I have even more because I'm like, wow, I just got like extra $10,000 or whatever that I didn't think I was going to earn and then suddenly I did. And yet, I'm not even going to upgrade my, you know, my 21-year-old van or my my house, which is perfectly good. I must really be happy with my life if I can do this. And that's, it's basically a gratitude engine. And then if I don't make the money, then I think, well, I'm sure glad I don't need more money. So it's it's like, you can be really grateful even while not buying stuff if you just look at it differently. I love that, Pete. Uh, first comment, were you there for my childhood? You described my childhood exactly. That was quite scary. Second comment is actually... I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> that I yeah. had a definite wince when you said that stuff. But when we first met in Ecuador, way back at a Chautauqua event years and years ago, 2016 or something, my wife and I came to meet you, to learn from you. We were totally inspired by your blog. We wanted to learn more. Then you gave a speech on happiness. We're like, what is Pete talking about happiness for? I thought he talked about index funds. <laughs> but I obviously hadn't understood it completely. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about on this call was what actually leads to happiness? Because you retired, is it 14, 15 years ago now? Yeah, a little over 15, I think. Something like that. And yet you've still continued to build co-working spaces, blogs, businesses, you've renovated properties. You seem to be constantly doing things when you don't have to. What in your mind actually leads to happiness? Well, yeah, this is a really useful thing for people to learn about because it is not often taught in school. Actually, I did just learn that a really prominent US university, I forget which one it is, now has a happiness course taught by um, pretty wise and experienced people. And they've made it available online. And it might have even become free in light of the pandemic because they thought it would be a good thing to help everybody. And it's become the most popular course in the entire university by far. And then uh, now that it's released to the public, it's one of the most popular things in the entire country. And I highly recommend that, especially if you're younger, because if you're like me, you tend to stumble into things like, okay, that makes me happy. That didn't make me happy. I'm not sure what's making me happy. And you gradually boil it down. And then after a while, I, wait, I started writing this blog that has some happiness component to it. And then I finally, doing everything backwards, I, I found some books and read about the subject. And then I learned about philosophy as well, which is like thousands of years old. And it's all the same stuff that I stumbled into slowly myself. And I could have probably learned it all more quickly if I had um, read the books to begin with. So I really like one book called The Art of Happiness. That's I think it's from the 90s. It's fairly old. And it's a collaboration between none other than the Dalai Lama 
like the Tibetan, you know, high, <laughs> high priest and an American psychiatrist. So it's a really interesting combination of like really traditional thought and then sort of brain and science-based explanations for why these things tend to work in humans. And that really appeals to me because I don't really respond very well to pure mystical thought. To me, I'm like, well, how do I know that is any, you know, somebody could have just made this up. Show me the data. But I do like, yeah, I do like scientific experiments and hearing like, how did this really affect people when we measured them? So, but it turns out the mystical thought is pretty accurate. And that's why books like that work on people like me. But if you just want the shortcut, it teaches you that Happiness comes from a lot of sources, but none of them are from your upgrades of stuff like your house and and your car and definitely not Bentley's. Oh my goodness, what a ridiculous <laughs> car. Are Bentley's saying, and Hummers. Are you saying I can't buy happiness, Pete? Well, and then there's a little bit of purchasing you can do probably to buy happiness. So if you buy things or experiences that allow you to either solve a major problem in your life or to do something that you can't currently do that is a core need, then in that way, it is sort of money buying happiness. So for example, if you're living in a cardboard box and you really like being with people and you can afford to have a house or rent an apartment where you can actually host people and cook them dinner, then that's some money spending that will genuinely bring you more happiness. It's not because the house itself is prestigious, but it's because it's allowing you to have the people in your life that, and people are a known source of happiness. So, and then a few of the factors, you know, it's social, uh, like close relationships with people and then meaningful work, which brings me after the super long answer, brings me back to your question. Uh, meaningful work is a really, really big form of, of happiness generation in humans. We are just wired to do it. Most of us are. And I'm a little bit more wired than most people to need to work. I don't need to do a lot, but I need, I found it needs to be like a couple hours each day um, of something that feels productive to me. And that's why I've done a lot of building and renovating houses. And then the co-working space, it's a combination of me getting to work on it, like physically, you know, putting in new windows and building bathrooms and then people, because I run into people here. There's always folks around and friends and we can have a workout together or a happy hour. We have kegs of beer here. So just, it's a happiness machine is what this co-working space is. It's not really a, a business. I didn't start it to make money, but it's uh, something I would encourage everybody to think about because when you get your money and stuff taken care of, you're still gonna need meaningful work and you're gonna need people in your life, preferably like a stream, like a flow of new people. So you can keep starting new relationships and friendships, I mean, and um, just keep things interesting. Yeah. Don't let yourself go stale, which is a real tendency of people, whether they have a job or not. And that's actually one of the things we talk about a pop-up is building a business out of your passion, something that you're focused on, something you actually want to do in life and having that purpose and work every day. And I think you don't have to wait Till financial independence to build a business. Sometimes the business can be the vehicle to get to financial independence. But what I think I've found fascinating out of chatting to all the FI people is even if they get to financial independence, they need some kind of meaningful work afterwards. So yeah. why not make the meaningful work the thing you actually do to get FI as well? Yes. And in fact, a dirty secret 
of all of this is that you don't even need financial independence at all if you have a job that is stable and that you enjoy and preferably like a business that's your own or a variety of things like maybe you have a job and a side business or multiple jobs or or at the very least a job where you're you can easily hop to another one and, and you'd never worry about unemployment so you take that and you combine it with low lifestyle costs so that you have a lot of flexibility like if your job ends then you're not going to be running out of money in just a few weeks preferably not even a few years um, it's all about having a surplus a financial surplus and then everything else is less stressful but what's that expression? Like, if you give me the right job, I never work a day in my life again or something because it doesn't feel like work. Yes. Yeah, it's something like that. Like, if you find the thing you love to do every day, you'll never work a day again in your life. That sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Right. So for the last years, like quite a few years since I started the blog or even before then, I think my lifestyle costs have been covered just by my side businesses. I could do two hours of carpentry per day, just professional carpentry around the neighborhood, which is really fun. And that would be enough to cover my cost of living because it's pretty low cost of living. And I'm a pretty good carpenter, so I can charge a good solid <laughs> amount. So that's really great because if I even if I hadn't saved all this money in the 2000s, from my from my engineering job and if i didn't have the lottery ticket of a blog that makes money none of that matters at all because even just carpentry is enough to pay the bills and so i didn't need all these other things and that's good because some of these things were luck or they're not available for other people like not everybody is cut out to be an engineer because that's not how their interests in their brain is and not everybody's going to be a writer but you don't have to be you just have to have a job that you enjoy doing enough and a lifestyle that is low cost enough such that that job pays for your groceries. And then, yeah, you're going to be really happy even without a huge stash of money. So what do you say to all the entrepreneurs who are starting businesses so that they can afford the planes, yachts, girls, men in bikinis, whatever it is, they spend their money on all these nice things. What would you say to them about that being the goal of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I would say that's a false god, a false thing to pursue. And there's a small chance that you'll still end up in the right place. Because if you're starting a business that helps people, and you love doing it, then it will be a satisfying pursuit, even if you think you're doing it for the money. However, a lot of people do, if they start with the the wrong goal, which is like the money part of it, and like especially ultra consumption, it's fundamentally not a very satisfying thing. And they're going to do things that are like damaging to other people in order to do it. Like if you start a business that's like a payday loan company or like a tobacco company or, you know, some kind of financial manipulation, even Bitcoin. Bitcoin trading, people are excited about like buying Bitcoin and hopefully selling it for more in the future. And they call themselves entrepreneurs or investors. But you're creating zero value for society when you do these things. You're just manipulating. It's like you're finding a way to slap on the side of a Coke machine and get free cans of Coke out of it. It's never going to be truly satisfying, even if you do luck into making a lot of money from it. So that's why um, having something where you're actually helping people is fundamentally a lot more satisfying because you feel good about yourself and it's good even without the money. 
so that when you happen to make money from it, you feel double good. And that's just a lot more happy and, and satisfying. And, you know, the older you get, the more important these things feel to you is to look back on your past decades of life and you don't have to say, oh man, I sure was an asshole to make this fortune. Like it's <laughs> nice to think, wow, I did good stuff and I left a trail of people I've helped and I happened to make a fortune. Like that is so much better. Yes, that's absolutely what motivates me is can I do good in the world, have fun and make some money along the way. And if I can do that, that's actually the uh, tagline of our podcast is passion, purpose and profit. So if you're having fun, if you've got a purpose and you're making money, what could be better? Yeah, right. And it's important to remember because sometimes people will hear the stuff like we're saying right now. And they're, especially if you're younger, like even I might have thought this, they're like, oh, listen to these goody two shoes. Like, oh, they're just so... They think they're so generous and like I, nobody's really that generous. Human nature is to be selfish. So these guys are just pretending. But it's not true. Um, being generous is being selfish because it gives you incredibly good feelings. Like you go to bed happier, you wake up happier. Like you personally feel like an absolute badass the more generous you can be. As long as you're not so generous that you're like giving up your own ability to be happy. Like I could give away so much money that I have to live in a cardboard box that would be going too far. So I keep plenty for myself, which keeps me strong. But everything else that I do that happens to help people, it just makes me feel really, really good. And I could have bought, you know, some Ferraris with that same money. And I was like absolutely 100% certain that I would be less happy from that trade. So um, yeah, just do it. Try it, young people. Even if you're selfish, <laughs> try to be generous. Being generous is the ultimate selfishness because it makes you feel the best. I love that. I love that. One of the strategies I learned in the old days was that if I ever was having a bad day or felt down, I would go and find someone to help. So I'd oh, yeah. uh, put a post on Facebook. I would speak to my friends and ask them what problems they were having. I'd try and find someone to help. And the interesting thing I always found was that in giving someone else advice and helping them, I A, felt better and B, invariably, the piece of advice I ended up giving them was the thing I actually needed to do for myself. Uh, <laughs> nice. And it helped lift me out of that hole. That's great. Yep. And I feel the same way even today. Like I had not such a great day yesterday. And today I got back out of the house and I'm helping people. I stopped at a friend's house on the way here, did some helping. And then now... I'm at least collaborating with you and that feels great too. So the rest of the day is automatically going to be great. Yes. And the podcast will go out and people will listen and hopefully will help a whole new generation of entrepreneurs with a different mindset about why they're building their business. Yeah. So Pete, one of the things we fight against in pop-up is the number of people who are attracted by the get-rich-quick schemes. You know, the give me the $197 a month and we'll give you our system to make money online or come and do Forex training and spend two grand to come to the course and we'll give you the system which will help you earn the money. And I genuinely believe people are trying to bypass the hard work and get to the end goal as quickly as they can. What would you say to those people who are thinking about buying these get rich quick schemes, thinking about skipping the work? What would you say to them? Yeah, obviously, 
I would say it's a terrible idea because <laughs> number one, those are all a scam. And the, some of the systems, if you can get just the right system, or, you know, like scam system and then work really hard and maybe it's multi-level marketing. So you got to fool a bunch of other people into joining it. Then maybe you'll make some money or maybe not. And it's like a shallow victory. And guess what? You had to work really, really hard in order to make that money. And really you're making, the only person you're really making money for is the next person up in the pyramid or the person selling you the course. So it's better to do your own thing, preferably not selling courses that fool <laughs> other people either. Don't just go to the other side of that equation and try that. It really has to be creating value for people. That's where the real money, all human wealth has come from creating things that are valuable for other people. And then there's a subset of businesses that just like, you know, fight over those scraps of wealth, but they aren't the ones who created it. So it's better to be on the creating side because it's the most satisfying, but it's also the most guaranteed source. And then you just have to be a little bit clever. Like if you want to make a lot of money, then you need to have a product that is being sold to a person or business who has a lot of money. So, you know, if you're selling a product to, to an industry or a group of people who has very low amount of money available to spare, it's going to be tough to fight, you know, like you don't want to open a McDonald's restaurant or a fast food restaurant and sell $4 meals because it's really hard and your customers don't have a lot of money and it takes a massive scale to make profit on that type of thing. But on the other hand, if you're offering a service like really, really high quality house cleaning in a rich neighborhood or pet sitting in a rich neighborhood or, you know, for people like all these doctors who go traveling and they need someone to watch their dogs. Like that's an example of someone who has a lot of money to spend if you can solve their problems and meet their needs. So you can make more simply because there is more money going around in those markets. So one of the things I've been talking about recently is creation versus consumption. And from what I've seen, you left a normal job and you started a construction company and then you did blogging and then you built a co-working space. And I'm sure there was numerous other projects that you've done through there. A, why did you start creating? And B, what keeps you creating? Because that's what makes me happy. I learned <laughs> that, yeah, I learned that I'm pretty much only happy when I'm creating something. And it's actually a bit of a weakness, but I can try to make the most of it and turn it into a strength because according to the deepest philosophy, you should be able to be happy just sitting there with your fingers pinched together and breathing the misty air of the Himalayas. <laughs> and that's fine, right? But I'm not that enlightened. So I need something to stimulate my brain and make me move my body. And for me, that's creating stuff. And it's mostly the physical thing. And that's not everybody. This is not the same for everybody. But for me, I get a lot more happiness when I can use my body and my hands and, you know, sweat and exert myself and solve physical problems, like how to get a steel beam up in the air welded to two other things. And it's just great satisfaction. Now, for other people, it's totally different. You know, some people are masters at chefs or creating experiences or creating gardens or lots and lots of other things that are equally satisfying. So the fact that I happen to like carpentry and construction is just unique to people who are like me. But most people, maybe even all, have some something that presses their buttons. And it's usually a form of creation. 
or helping people. Like if you're really, really good with emotions and you can counsel people and get them to feel better, um, you're still creating. You're just creating different feelings in people and that can be just as satisfying. So yeah, it really doesn't have to be creating a product or a physical thing, but you do have to be creating, I would say creating change in something would be a definition that, that applies to everybody. I absolutely love that. One of the ones that inspires me is creating PowerPoints. Is that weird? Uh, yeah, a little weird. That's a little unusual, <laughs> I would say. I can get lost for days creating a good PowerPoint for a talk and that's then delivering great. the talk to help people. I absolutely good get lost you. in that. And yeah. I think that's part of the variety and the spice of life is everyone gets a buzz out of creating, but what you can create is so uniquely individual. That's true. And I do love your PowerPoints. So they are definitely your passion shows in those things. <laughs> Why, thank you, Pete. Uh, so Pop-Up has actually been out to Longmont twice now to run events with you. They've always been the highlights of my year coming out to Colorado, operating in the uh, in the co-working space. Always crammed full of interesting characters who come from your blog. Some amazing people I've met. Yeah. And there's still a couple of Facebook Live videos out there of at least portion of that content, right? If you if we look at the Pop-Up Business School website yes. or Facebook page. But yes, they've been great. Did I interrupt you? How does this story continue? No, I was going to say, yes, the lives are absolutely out there. We'll put a link in the show notes afterwards. The question I was going to ask was, what do you think you've got? What inspires you? What do you get out of putting on these events? Because it's a big undertaking to organize the building, have 100 people to show up, run events every night, be nice to people even when you're having a bad day. It's a big undertaking. Like, what do you get out of this? Yeah, well, I do always have a good day. Every time there has been a <laughs> pop-up event here, every day, it's been great. And yeah, number one is meeting people, I would say, because I've always met people or on both of those events I had here, and they're still friends to this day. And then it's also a form of reunion for me because all of my existing friends from around the country and Canada, they come back to Longmont and we all have sort of a hippie communal experience, like all the bedrooms and free spaces in my house and even like a pop-up trailer in the driveway. It's all full. And that's how I like to live. It's sort of like you get to live in a commune for a while. And then there's a feeling of helping people because people are very genuinely happy that they get to be the students are happy they get to be in the pop-up business school and yeah it's just a large same reason you would have friends over to visit it's just like having a hundred friends to visit for two weeks in the past <laughs> so if you were to start a business in 2020 pete what would you start what would you throw your energy into oh i was gonna say i have no answer but well and I'm, I'm not literally going to do this, but the business I would most like to run would be a new city, like creating a new city from scratch that is car free. So it's designed entirely among around like walkable and bikeable spaces. The buildings are closer together, a lot more green space and parks and pathways and everything. And I've talked about this many times. There's even some news stories on the idea if you look up the word cyclocroft, then you'll see basically the idea that I have. So I think that would be a great business. Effectively, it would be a real estate business. That would be how it pays its bills because you're taking a chunk of land and creating 
a city on it and then you can sell off the land or the building. So that's how it would pay its bills. But it's not about making money. It would be about setting an example for the rest of the modern world on how to make places that are happier for humans to live in. And they also just happen to be way more mustachian in the sense that they cost less to build and the business and health outcomes of the residents of the city are way better. Like, wow, miraculously, we get rid of the cars and everything else gets entirely supercharged. And then I would like that to influence urban planning throughout the rest of the world if we could do it successfully. So obviously, that's a pretty big dream, a big business. (laughs) And um, that's why I haven't done it is because I know myself, I know I'm not willing at this point to commit the amount of time and energy to do something like that because I, it would take away um, my priority of taking care of my son, who's 14 now. So a few more years till he's an uh, adult. And then being a dad to a young kid will no longer be my priority because he won't need as much of my time. So then maybe I would do something like that. Um, but that's maybe not the best answer. Like, you know, if someone else is looking for business ideas. So what else is a great thing to do now? Maybe it's a good time to start a new business because there's a void in the business world right now things shut down so maybe there's even opportunities right now of things that aren't being taken care of and can you fill that need i don't know i mean i know that delivering things to people's houses that they need is is uh, <laughs> certainly a need but not everyone wants to be in that business but um yeah so i think it's quite interesting one of the sayings we repeat at pop up ad finitum is if you help enough other people get what they want you can end up getting what you want. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing you say with your business with planning the town. It's helping people to live healthier, happier lifestyles. And that is indeed what will sell it and then influence the world. And then you're looking at in the other businesses, what are people's needs? And I think that's a clear action that the entrepreneurs can take away from this podcast is working out what people's needs are. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that, how to find out what people's needs are or how to find out where the holes are? Is that something you've considered? For me, so far, it has just been by hearing stories. And probably because I'm a writer, like an internet writer, I get a lot of stories sent to me automatically. So that's kind of a useful shortcut. And so even if you're not a writer or an internet person, then just following for example, the, the daily concerns of your Facebook friends provides a lot of business ideas. If someone's saying like, oh, man, it's too bad there isn't a summer camp for kids that does this or too bad there's no way to get this product in our town or whatever. People are always expressing needs, often disguised as complaints. But if you can combine somebody who has a fair amount of money and a complaint then you've got a business right there. (laughs) (laughs) You are exactly right. That is exactly it. Listen for the complaints and then go fix them for someone and charge them for doing it. That's the business. Yeah. And so there's always going to be those things. And as the world opens back up over the next month or two, I think there's going to be new needs that pop up that were never there before. And some of the old ones will be reduced. It'll just be like a little bit of a shuffling of the business world. And that's whenever there's change, there's more opportunity because someone who's starting their own business can jump right in and do it. Uh, Whereas an existing business will take a while to recognize that and then maybe start changing and adapting to the new world. I love that, Pete. 
So it's coming up to the time to wrap up. What I would love to know, if you were going to give some advice to some entrepreneurs about starting in personal finance, because entrepreneurs and personal finance don't often go together. If you're entrepreneurial, you don't necessarily think about personal finance. And I've noticed a lot of the personal finance world have steady jobs rather than focus on entrepreneurship. So if you were advising entrepreneurs about personal finance and how to get going, where to start, what would your opening advice be? I guess if you boil it down to the two smallest things, it is to find ways to spend less money, of course, without compromising on fun. And then make sure you have a goal for that money, like what you're going to do with it. So I guess it would be that goal should either be getting rid of debt, if you have debt that has a interest rate, anything high, especially high interest rates. And then what are you going to invest it in? It could be as simple as paying off your personal mortgage, or it could be investing permanently for lifelong wealth and index funds. In some cases, it would be investing in your business, but I don't think you should necessarily go crazy in investing in your business, no matter what. Like for example, if you have a business that's making money and then you say like, oh, well, we just made $45,000. Let's reinvest it in quotation marks in a $45,000 shiny truck for our plumbing business, <laughs> right? And that's and they think they're investing in the business, but that's absolutely terrible use of money because like an $8,000 old truck with no radio as long as you keep it clean, is just as good as a $45,000 truck with six seats and six wheels and, you know, all the off-road doodads. Like, all you really need to do is carry some pipes around and some equipment. So, um, I would say run your business as if you have no money and then keep those profits to reinvest in something that actually generates cash flow. So, that would either be stocks, index funds, or real estate. And I think that way you could have the benefits of both a successful business, but not a high cost business. And um, yeah, and then understand how to track your personal spending and reduce it. And if you don't feel like tracking it, then just think of everything, ways to cut everything to zero and do your best (laughs) to cut everything to zero. If you don't want to track it, don't spend it. Yeah, right. So for example, how much do you spend on restaurants? Well, if you don't have a lot of money, that should be zero. Because you, a restaurant is a very, very indulgent way to spend your money. And then you're like, okay, fine. Mr. Money Mustache is way too strict. He told me to spend zero on restaurants. I'll just spend a little bit instead of going out twice a day, every single day, year in and year out. And even just the guideline of like, imagine me looking over your shoulder and being like, what are you doing spending $30 or whatever on, on this meal? Like, you can't afford that. You just need to hear me like literally Mr. Money Mustache talking in your ears every time you open that wallet and that will help you cut down on these frivolous expenditures and then the cash surplus and it becomes a habit pretty quickly. Like for me, I go out whenever I want, spend whatever I want because I don't have a money shortage, but it's still less than most people who are broke go out and that's just because I'm used to it. Like my first thing I turn to when I'm hungry is my fridge instead of the restaurant And it takes conscious effort to be like, oh, yeah, I should go out to a restaurant because I can afford it. So I do that like, you know, once a month or once every two weeks. And then it just doesn't add up very much. So building these habits. I love those habits. And Katie and I did actually have a mini Pete in our head for some time that every time we went to a store or a restaurant or one of the coffee shops, the mini Pete would say, do you really need to buy that? 
and oh, quite good. often we would turn around and walk the other way. Um, I'm glad it worked. It did indeed work. Would you be willing right now just to record into the microphone, why are you spending money on this? And then I'll clip it and put it in the show notes so people can play for themselves every time they think about money, spending money. All right. Ready? Ready. Hey there. What are you doing? Is that your wallet I see? Put that damn thing away. You don't need to buy that. You can't afford that yet. Maybe next year. That's absolutely brilliant, Pete. I'm going to make that available to everyone to keep their spending down so they can install mini Pete into their ears whenever they're spending. That's genius. And actually, maybe we should use the picture of you and Katie getting punched out with the double Kung Fu spending uh, punch So uh, when we first met. If you don't know, uh, Pete is famous for saying online, punch yourself in the face if you do that. So when Katie and I turned up at Chautauqua, we asked him to punch us in the face for having too much cash and not being spent enough in the index funds. Yeah. So if you um, if you have a way to share that as part of your show notes or whatever, or maybe even as like the headline <laughs> picture for this podcast episode, then... Uh, that might be educational. I love that. And actually, the same clip will work for your business. If you catch yourself thinking, oh, I've made five grand this month. Let's buy a new Macintosh. Let's buy a... I'm not down with the kids. Let's buy a new Mac. Let's buy a new iPhone. Let's buy a whatever. Exactly the same principles apply as an entrepreneur. Stop spending that money invest it, save it, build up a cash cushion and protect your business just as you would your personal life. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Pete, thank you for being on the podcast and being part of it. If people want to find out more about mustachianism and the great work you've done, where do they go? Just to the website. I keep things simple. So mrmoneymustache.com and it's spelled uh, the US spelling. So M U S. T-A-C-H-E, you know, that kind of mustache. But if you start typing M-R and money in Google, it'll probably just fill it in for you anyway. And then I also have a Twitter account. Thank you, Pete. And uh, I will come out to Longmont soon to visit. Yes, I'm looking forward to such things. So that was Pete, also known as Mr. Money Mustache. And there's several things I would like to highlight for you from that interview. The first is about meaningful work. And that's something that's really hit me from his website. And what Mr. Money Mustache does is that every day he's out there trying to find meaningful work to create value and to build something whilst he's out there. Now, he's retired. He doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to work. But it's the drive for creation and doing meaningful work that actually keeps Pete happy. And what I'd love you to take from this is that you need to find that for yourself. What is meaningful work for you? How can you give to other people? How can you add value in the world every single day? And if you can do that, if you can find that way to add value and do meaningful work, it won't feel like work. You'll be drawn to do it. I'm sure you've experienced the Sunday night feeling where you don't want to go into work the next day, where you don't want to get up on a Monday morning. Well, if you can find meaningful work, you'll have the exact opposite. And I think I've only had that Sunday night feeling once in the last 12 years. And the reason that is, is because I get such a buzz out of helping people to build businesses and to make change in their life. And you just need to find your version of that. 
For Pete, for Mr. Money Mustache, it's carpentry, it's putting on events, it's helping people, it's blogging. For me, it's building PowerPoints. I love building Lego. I love helping people build businesses. Doing this podcast, that's my meaningful work. What you need to do is find that for yourself. And then I guess the question becomes, well, how do you uncover what meaningful work is for yourself? Well, I think there is a trial and error process here where you're just going to have to try a bunch of things to find out if you enjoy it. One of my favourite things I like to say at Pop-Up is the Ben and Jerry's example. Do you like ice cream? And if you do like ice cream, how do you know which your favourite flavour is? Well, if you're anything like me, you've had to try a whole host of flavours to be able to know which one your favourite is. I go to the supermarket and I buy all the new ones so that I can try them all. And then I know which one it is that I love. And how do you know what type of work you're going to enjoy, what type of creation you're going to enjoy, but you're going to have to try a bunch. And there's going to be a period of getting out there, giving it energy, giving it effort, experiencing it, getting to love it and growing within it for you to be able to work out what meaningful and passionate and fun work is for you. So if you don't know what type of business you want to start, if you don't know what meaningful work is for you, then what I suggest you do is to start to experiment and test. I want you to try something new each day. Test it. Have a go. If you've never written a blog article, well, write a blog article. If you've never sent an Instagram post or done social media marketing or created a podcast, if you've never cooked a muffin, if you've never done carpentry, I want you to have a go. That's the only way you're really going to find it out is what gives you that buzz. What gives you that energy? What is that meaningful, passionate work that you can get involved in? You're going to have to have a go. So my challenge to you following Pete's episode is to go and try a bunch of things. That's the first one. The second one, actually, it's to apply the personal finance principles to your business as well. Now, people know that they need to save and invest money in their personal life, but why don't they do it in their business? Why are they living invoice to invoice within their businesses? And then they come to a crash like there's been recently with the coronavirus, or they've come to losing a client and their business is almost killed by that one crash. Why aren't you saving in your business? Now, there was a fantastic bit in the podcast where Pete recorded a clip for us saying, why are you spending that money? If you're a spender and every time you think about when you get new money in, you think about what can I spend it in? I want you to download that audio clip and have it on your phone. And every time you start to think about spending that money, whether it's on food, a new laptop, a new phone, whatever it is, I want you to play that clip from Pete and think about should I be saving and investing this money instead? Because I want you to turn your business into a saving and investing business. The only reason Pop-Up is surviving the coronavirus crash is because we're a saving and investing business and we kept a lot of the profits we've made in the good times so that we can survive the bad times. And this is one of the biggest takeaways I want you to take from this episode is you need to apply the personal finance principles to your business just as you do your personal life. 
If you don't know what those are, go read Pete's blog, MrMoneyMustache.com. Read it, soak up the principles, soak up the ideas, and then think about how can I apply this to entrepreneurship, startup, and business? Because I tell you, it will change the way you do things. Now, that was one of my favorite episodes. And in the pursuit of happiness, I'm off to have dinner with my wife. And I want you to go out there and work on being happy yourself. Find that meaningful work save the money and have fun. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Tune in for the next episode. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with The Rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining The Rebellion. The Rebellion.